Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, editor here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcast needs. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by Jeremy Strozer, advisor at Lionfish Tech Advisors, and we're discussing today how cyber warfare is changing cybersecurity forever. Jeremy, pleasure to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah, no reason at all. Um, could you just tell the people a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into cybersecurity in the first place? Absolutely. So I am an advisor with Lionfish Tech Advisors. I came in a circuitous route. I fell into cybersecurity by accident once and uh, can never <laughs> find my way out and don't want to, actually. It's kind of fun. So I basically advise companies, particularly tech startups in the cybersecurity space, on how to bring their products to market, how to communicate, and if they're interested in exit strategies, mergers and acquisitions and whatnot. But I came to this route through working at the Software Engineering Institute, Carnegie Mellon University, and then Gartner after that. So I have been in the cyberspace for, uh, I'm a lot old person now, so a long time, but probably over <laughs> 15, 20 years. And uh, I, before that, though, I was in the intelligence community. And I have brought the two together in a way that I say there's, there's a relatively small uh, group of folks in the world who do what I do and think in the way I think. And uh, it's kind of a cool group of people to hang out with. And we're always talking. And sometimes it's depressing and sometimes it's inspiring. But, you know, hopefully today I'll inspire some organizations to, to look at this in a different way than they tend to normally. Good, good. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And and just to kind of jump straight in, you know, I think cybersecurity in recent times is becoming more and more synonymous with modern warfare, especially, you know, what we're seeing around the world, uh, especially what we're seeing politically in, in, in the East and that kind of thing. Um, how did we get to this point? <laughs> well, the easy answer is the attackers realized it's fairly easy in a lightly defended domain. So military strategists throughout history have really emphasized the same point, attack where your opponent is weakest, disrupt them and win, and try to do it without actually going onto the battlefield. So today, this has been translated in what's been called hybrid or holistic warfare. So it covers all the domains, air, land, sea, space, mind, cyber, which is the electromagnetic spectrum. The best name for it, though, honestly, is simply war, win through exploiting your opponent's weaknesses. A long answer to that is that in the 1970s and 80s, when the internet was taking shape, the people creating it did so with collaboration in mind, not security. So as actors in the space shifted from those who liked to collaborate and work together on stuff to those who had malicious motives, the openness of the system provided plenty of opportunities to exploit a potential target. Militaries and governments began hardening their defenses first once they realized this. So the malicious actors started looking around and saying, well, okay, we can't attack the hard stuff. What's the easy stuff? What can we go after? So they focused on the means by which people exist, who, how they make their livings and live their lives. So over the 20th century, wars moved from mainly a military on military engagement to a military on civilian interaction. 
And that has really been shown up in the electromagnetic spectrum of cybersecurity, cyberspace. And we can see this taking place really well in Ukraine today, where the Russians invaded, they used military force initially, they tried to conduct a cyber assault from the beginning, it didn't go well, the Ukrainians stood up a volunteer cyber army for themselves, which has been very impressive. And so the Russians actually moved back to, well, where is the weak spot? bombing civilians, bombing hospitals and, you know, uh, apartment buildings and stuff like that, schools. So it's it, the, the opponents are looking for the weakest link, and that's where they're going to attack. A lot of companies in this space, though, are the weakest link. And so that's where those opponents are going to attack. For private sector companies who are simply trying to run a business, though, this creates a real challenge because they prefer not to get involved in geopolitics. Who wants to be a part of that if all you're trying to do is, is the job that you have? Despite these preferences, though, they are the front line in war now. Rather than trying to take down a government, take down the ability of the enemy to finance their war, to supply their logistics to their troops, to maintain morale on the home front through taking away their heat in the winter. What most malicious actors, though, seem to fail to realize is morale actually increases with hardship. So this was proved in every aerial bombing campaign of the 20th century. The same is going to be true in cyberspace, and it already is. We've seen this take place. But the key with this is that it's not just in one place at one time against one enemy. We've seen this in low-intensity conflict ramping up over the past 25 years as potential adversaries conduct reconnaissance and force placement across all of the potential enemy's domains. These actions in preparation for exploitation, if the need arises, are the real threat to the private sector. All the major actors out there, United States, Russia, China, the UK, several minor ones, have access to each other's systems across a vast spectrum of the public and private space, including infrastructure, banking, pharmaceuticals, and so many other industries. So being compromised is honestly the status quo. Mm, and I guess we, we can sort of change the... The, the sort of conversation from being compromised as a country to being compromised as a business. And I'm, I, I'm sure there's, there's quite a lot of similar kind of principles and philosophies and come with that. So, so what, what developments are being made in cybersecurity from a militaristic perspective that, you know, have in some way affected enterprises and companies uh, in the West and across the world? Uh, are, there, are there any sort of lessons we're, we're taking from, from that part of the world? Definitely. Yeah, the compromises that have been taking place um, are waiting for the order to strike from any national command authority when they decide to use it. So we've seen this in the US invasion of Iraq in 2003. We've seen versions of this by the Russians in the Baltics and Georgia since the early 2000s. And we've seen it in Ukraine from 2014 to today. And this wasn't just against governments. This was against private companies in all of those places. In a kinetic war, the adversaries are going to take down whatever they can and, and hurt their opponent in whatever way they can. So enterprises are affected from both the adversary and from the friendly side. Nation state adversaries are viewing the enterprise as the soft target, the logistical glue for a country and the means by which to lower morale. Whereas criminal adversaries are view the enterprise as a target for exploitation. How could they get that malware in there? And then how could they use that for ransom? And then friendlies, on the other hand, are in the process of hardening themselves against these kinds of attacks. And so thus, they're encouraging these adversaries to look around and say, well, where are the softer targets? Who can we still attack? And a key component of this friendly side is the insider threat. Any potential adversary is looking to simply gain access to the organization to become an insider themselves. 
So both the malicious and the unintentional insider threats are glaring potential threat vectors for any enterprise. So the enterprise has to harden itself against all these threat vectors and against the attacks themselves. So this doesn't mean building a wall and thinking a firewall is going to stop any of this. No wall has ever stopped an invasion. Instead, it means constantly looking outside at the geopolitical situation in the world and relating that back to the firm. And then seeking out the compromises already in the system, be they carbon or silicon-based, and weeding those out and being ready at a moment's notice with incident response and disaster recovery plans so when the attack is conducted, the enterprise can act without remorse to bring the system back securely. This is the essence of a resilience strategy. Can you prepare the battlefield for battle, take the hit, maintain operations, and recover with the ability to proceed? If so, you're doing a great job. And if not, well, you got some work to do. Got it. I think another effect that it has had is the rapid maturity in the strategic cyber intelligence space. What steps can companies take to to really utilize that? That's a great point. Strategic cyber intelligence is an essential component of a holistic resilience strategy. Knowing what may be coming over the horizon is key in persevering through any attack or making it out the other side intact. Companies should integrate geopolitics, merger and acquisition activities, global operations, supply chains, current available exploits, and the recruiting of future staff into their cyber intelligence cycle. This can be done with collaboration with their ISACs for the local industry, partnering with local law enforcement and national security authorities, and from creating and running continuous threat exposure management, CTEM, across the organization. It's only through understanding the context, both internal and external, can companies harden themselves to begin developing the resilience in the face of these attacks? Got it, got it. And uh, I think I think there's a lot to kind of consider when it comes to all of these different types of attacks coming out, whether it be ransomware, whether it be, you know, inside a threat, you know, there's a lot of different ways that companies do need to protect themselves. Yeah. Moving on to sort of 2023, what do you foresee the biggest cybersecurity challenge of the next 12 months being? You know, the threat's going to evolve as humans interact with these systems. They're going to change them in many ways, but there's a lot of things that are already capable. So what we do know is Russia is going to be looking to gain any advantage it can against Ukraine and those countries supporting Ukraine, EU, NATO, G7 nations. China will continue looking for advanced technology and taking it wherever it can find it. And both, as well as the United States and a lot of others, are going to be seeking any exploits they can plant in anticipation of needing them if a full kinetic war is going to come between any of these or any other potential foes. Criminals are going to be looking to take advantage of what the nation states have developed as exploits and then using them for their own financial gain, particularly for um, ransomware. And then companies are going to continue being the front line in any buildup or real kinetic war in the search for stolen technology and in criminal activity, particularly ransomware again. So CISOs and their functions are the front line against geopolitical, technological, criminal activity. And the status is just simply a component of doing business. So rather than fighting this reality, companies would be well served to build the capability to survive and flourish in this kind of environment where they and they alone, although with their partners and ISACs and national security authorities, have to be able to stand up and continue and maintain operations, whatever they face. And we can help them with that. There's a lot of people that can help them with that. 
Jeremy, I'm, I'm a bit conscious that we're being a bit uh, too doom and gloom <laughs> talking, talking about all of this uh, war-related stuff. Yeah. Uh, to, to maybe end on a, a bit more of like an optimistic... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to maybe end on a, a little bit more of an optimistic note. Are you kind of... Are you kind of a, you know, hopeful in the future that companies, you know, will have the resources and the the know-how to properly equip against these kind of uh, trends coming out? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I had mentioned continuous threat exposure management as an activity that organizations should be doing. And this includes lots of different components. But as organizations build up their capabilities, harden themselves and become far more resilient, the threats are going to move to the weaker ones, the ones that aren't doing that sort of thing. So if you look at your organization, you say, hey, we have gaps here, here, here. Cool. Fill them. Work with others to fill them. Work with your ISAC, work with the law enforcement authorities and start addressing those issue areas. Make sure you understand what your vulnerabilities are. And if you do, and if you start building your capability in this space, then you're not going to be the target they're going to go after as often because you're just harder. You know, it's just not worth it to attack you. Let's go just attack somebody else who's cheaper and easier. So it, it's not necessarily that, you know, it's all doom and gloom. It's action can be taken to really make yourself safer. And working with your ISACs, working in consortiums, action can be taken across whole industries to make that industry safer. And if those industries are working together, then nations can be safer. And so there are things that we can all do to make this less of a risk and make it really hard for the adversary to take advantage of it. Well said, well said. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the episode today and thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. And and thank you to everyone who listened as well. We hope you took a lot away from today's podcast, but for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to lionfishtechadvisors.com. Alternatively, follow Jeremy Stoza on LinkedIn, and we'll, we'll provide the link for that down below. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms, follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn, and for more great daily content, make sure you head on over to EM360Tech.com. Thank you.